This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. Um, lots of different topics. Uh, hope you guys are having a decent day. <laughs> I'm not using the word good or great anymore. Just decent. We're going for good enough. It's kind of what we have to do with uh, parenting, even uh, partner seeking. Good enough. We're just going for good enough. Um, couple interesting things that came out. Uh, one of them was, I was looking at this article. It's always a little bit clunky, a little bit funky. This is the Washington Post headline. Should you cancel travel plans because of the coronavirus's Delta variant? Uh, this came out a couple of days ago and I've been sitting on it because I'm, you know, kind of tired of talking about COVID. My opinions on it all have stayed pretty much the same, but I thought, huh, let's break down. Let's break this one down. I think it's a little interesting. Um, because I, because I do think it's something we need to consider. I don't think it's as black and white as all in or all out, right? Um, I think there's questions we have to ask. And kind of looking through this article, um, it, it kind of brought some of those questions to the surface. And I think that they're kind of smart questions. Uh, first one is, is everyone in your group vaccinated? Okay, that's, that's a very understandable question. Why does that matter? Well, if you're traveling, you're taking yourself or whatever... COVID you have or don't have into another person's home, environment, state, country, we do want to think about that. That's literally the root of colonization is taking a landing somewhere that is not your home and possibly doing something destructive, right? So we do want to think about that. And then the uh, caveat was not just as everyone in your group vaccinated, because again, it's very unethical to travel while unvaccinated because you're setting those around you up for the possibility of infection, right? And then the second question was, is anyone immunocompromised? And I think that that's a very smart thing to ask as well. You're setting them up for risk, but also taking them into possibly risky situations. Um, other questions, how do you plan on traveling? Because whether it's train, bus, or airplane um, matters. How many stops? How many people will be getting on and off? How enclosed are the spaces, right? So basically, it's saying that the fewer fellow travelers that you can come in contact with, the better, right? And that's why car is going to be the safest because the only people you're coming in contact with is just you or whoever you've vetted to travel in that very small shared air enclosed space. Even if you got those windows open, you're still sharing air. Um, so if you're going to drive, make sure it's a car that you have control over. You know, um, but trains, buses, airplanes, especially for making multiple stops, it's going to put you in proximity 
and in enclosed spaces for long periods of time with a multitude of other people, you know? So if you're traveling, you're going to be definitely coming in, you know, a lot of crowds, uh, airports and all of that. Um, hundreds of thousands of people and masks are required on, uh, most airplanes, but I guess that's a little bit case by case, depending on what country you're in. Um, also know that, uh, before, excuse me, know that before boarding <laughs> those double B's, international flight specifically, you're going to have to possibly get tested. And that's something to think about is access to testing sites fee and having it done within the window where you need to get it done and get the results back. Uh, this came up in my life when I was driving by car, going, um, to the beach with, uh, my babe and, um, in having to get on an airplane to fly back home to another country, uh, we had to talk about getting, you know, a COVID test, but it had to happen in a very small window period. And a lot of places were booked up. So just think about that ahead of time. Um, here's another important question that I don't hear many people talking about. What's the transmission rate at your destination? Like that really matters, right? Are you going to a place that has a high um, number of cases, right? So the CDC shows a map, they have a map with different regions in the US and they'll show uh, low, moderate, or high transmission rates. Um, they also have separate guides for different countries. So basically they're saying you should avoid visiting areas that have a very high degree of transmission per the CDC. So that's something to think about. I'm glad that that kind of information's available. Think back pre-technological days, pre-internet. We didn't really have access like that. Uh, so it's helpful, but keep in mind that those regions can move very quickly from one transmission category to another. You know, a place that might be low can bump up to moderate or high very quickly. Um, also, what travel restrictions are in the place you're going to? Think about that. You might be spending a lot of time and money to get somewhere, but a lot of things aren't open and they have a lot of restrictions with what's open, how you can access curfews. So pay attention to that. Where, where were you like, what were you hoping to do while traveling to that area? And what are the current hours? Some places are permanently closed. Some places have reduced hours. Others you can't. Um, spend time in, you can only get things to go. So you might be traveling to a place where all of your food's gonna be grabbed and to go. And that might change your relationship. They might be, you know, I know a lot of art museums and galleries are selling tickets, so you have to get them ahead of time. So you have to think about these things. You don't wanna just show up and have, you know, your dream trip really kind of thwarted. Um, will you be spending most of your trip indoors or outdoors? That's an important one as well. Can you get your money back if plans change? Bam, stuff to think about. Uh, we're gonna take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about ways to deal with parental burnout. That's right, parents, I got your back. And again, as always, this applies to everyone. Um, so stick around, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back and we're talking about parental burnout. But guess what? This is ways to deal with burnout all around. We are not in standard times. And that's why I was opening the show by saying we're doing good enough. Good enough is, is really what we're going for. But more importantly, in terms of parenting, that's all children need is good enough. They need presence. Doesn't matter how many caregivers, doesn't matter their genders. They just need caregivers that have the ability to be consistent, reliable, accessible, and responsive. And basically that means presence, attunement, you know? being available to be there for them, you know, eye contact, listening, sitting with them in their feelings. This is what we need in our romantic relationships. This is what we need in our friendships. This is what we need in our parent and child relationships. Um, and I'm, and I'm also holding space for the idea that there's a lot going on and there's not, you know, it might be one of the difficult times to really provide that when we are struggling with employment, uh, finances, other relational stuff and environmental stuff. It can be really hard to be present in the ways you want to. So, that's the goal, but um, that's, that's always the goal. It's just presence, being good enough, you know? And that's all we can offer sometimes to the people in our life. But if you are someone, again, we've talked about this, who is working from home and your kids are at home, or maybe they're back in school but still coming home, and you're trying to deal with all the different things that are happening, right? Burnout comes very, very quickly and very easy in those times. That's why we're always assessing ourselves. How are we doing? Do we need to clear our calendars a little bit, right? Build in more time for some fun and rest because we're always trying to take our own temperature. How close are we? Because a lot of people are, are just normalizing living in burnout. And when I call out that that's what's happening based on all the different symptoms they're thinking and feeling, I'm like, yeah, but once we're in it, it's not too late, but we wanna, we wanna catch ourselves heading towards it so as to stop things. I had to like start unloading my calendar. My calendar profession was getting very full and it was burning me out, it's getting very tired. And the way it shows up best for me is how I am with my friends and loved ones. Am I available? Do I have energy? Am I snippy and short with them? That's, that's usually a good metric for me. I'm able to always be very present in my, in my work, but that's, that's important stuff. I, I won't allow my relationships to be harmed by my work, whatever that even means whatever falls under that rubric. My relationships are why I'm alive. It's why I'm a person. That's where I find joy and value. So I treat them very fragilely. And anything that's getting in the way of me being able to show up to my loved ones is something that I have to set boundaries around. You know, work for most of us is something we have to do to get our needs met. It shouldn't be something that has to have a negative impact on the important parts of our life, right? But we have that backwards, right? We let everything fall by the wayside and negatively be impacted so as to center whatever the work is, but we have to do the inverse. So I know we live those busy lives. We're trying to get our needs met, but try to check in on the people around you. You know, how are you showing up for them? Um, that's one of those big things, but other signs are lots of stress, lots of distress, illness, anxiety, depression, 
you know, not, not, you know, one of the biggest signs though of burnout or being hyper stressed is the inability to really regulate ourselves, right? We're, we're short with people. We're snappy. We're easily frustrated. It's a sign. And I talked a little bit about that, even with the dating apps, dating app burnout. Well, what's that? Well, that's exactly what I just said. If you're going on those apps and you're like getting into fights with people, right? And you don't have any patience. Ooh, you've got burnout or dating app burnout. But either way, put that thing down. If you realize you're doing that with friends and family members face-to-face or over text, take a breather and just say, I need a minute. Take that minute, you know? Um, I think our relationships are where we really see that. But, but again, know that these can show up in micro moments. That's why I brought up the uh, dating app example, right? Is it's those little moments of frustration. Because remember, why is it hardest at the end of the day to really hold ourselves accountable to whatever it is we're trying to hold ourselves accountable to work you left or cooking dinner or cleaning up or going and having some plans because we're tired. And that's why self-care is really harder sometimes later in the day at the end of the day because it takes energy to calm ourselves, to regulate ourselves, to get our needs met. And if we've burned through all the energy we have for that day, we're not gonna have much left. And that's where the disability community has given us this concept of spoons. And I, and I love it. It's units of energy. And we all have a certain amount of energy. We all do not have the same amount. We cannot have the same expectations on everyone. I want to keep reminding everyone that we all have a, a different physicality and psychology and the expectations have to be different. That's why we don't talk about equality where it's the same for everyone. We talk about equity. People get what they specifically need based on who they are. People have different needs, right? And so as a family, we can't have the same expectations on everyone. Everyone is coming into the world with different struggles and different capacities. But if we're talking about energy, everyone starts today with a different amount of energy based on a multitude of factors. We've talked about a lot of them. And you got to think about that. If you have five spoons, five units of energy, and your job takes four, well, you're going to go home with one left. And if cooking dinner takes three, you're done you, you, before you even started. So we have to think about that. How much energy do I have? How much energy do I need to get through the day? And how much energy does everything I need to do require? It's a very helpful thing for people with disabilities and also when they're in states of burnout and and trauma to really realize the normal expectation I have upon myself has to change day by day based on what's going on and where I'm at, right? It can't always be the same. Same for everyone, same for myself every day or every week. And I have to do that. I'll have to say to myself, based on what's going on today or this week in my life and my calendar, what can I say yes to and what do I have to say no to? We have to get, we have to be more thoughtful about that. that that's truly self-care. That's mental health. Checking in with ourselves and saying, what's possible for me today and this week? Did you sleep? How are you sleeping? How's your eating? All, all these different factors come into that, right? How's your mental health? So all of that to say is we want to be in front of all of this, not on the reactive side where life is just kind of out of control and we're just doing the best we can as we can. Really think about the day ahead, the week ahead, uh, the day that's coming tomorrow and think about what's possible, what you can expect from yourself and others. And that's why we're talking about a lot of this because a lot of times, again, burnout and stress isn't recognized until it's too late. Again, not not necessarily too late, but you're, you're already in it. I guess it is too late if you're already in it. Um, just looking at a study, this is a study that was called Stress in America. This is done by the APA. 39% of moms and dads said their mental health had worsened compared to before the pandemic. Well, no kidding. You know, they reported unwanted changes in sleep patterns, alcohol consumption. These are all different ways that we're trying to cope with what's going on. All right, we're going to take a little break. Stick around. We can keep talking about this. Um, and, of course, we'll be uh, sliding into some DMs later. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All righty. 
we're back and before the break, just kind of talk about this whole idea that we have to think in terms of where are we right now in our lives in terms of day, month, week even. Uh, and what, what, what are reasonable expectations and what is that week or what is that day going to require? What do I do to be able to be my best? You know, um, and we're talking about a study stress in America, 39% of moms and dads said their mental health is worse now than before the pandemic. Well, no kidding. You know, it's very few people that are like, nah, it's, it's at its most robust and resilient. I'm doing far better. Yeah. Said, said the rare person, but you know, props to them. And you know, one of the things we want to zero in on is one of the things that came out of this is people talking a lot about an increase in their alcohol use. Not a good thing. Alcohol is a poison that negatively impacts every system in your body. When used very, very, very moderately, it can be all right. Every time they put out a new report on this, they decrease the amount of alcohol that a person should consume because they're afraid to just say, yeah, you really all shouldn't be drinking. I'm not slamming drinking. I think it can be something that has worth and value if it just adds pleasure to the day. I think it can be a good short-term coping mechanism for people that don't seem to have a problematic relationship to it. We're allowed to do things that just kind of check us out, put a smile on our face. That's what I use food for and other things. I had a rough day, just want to smile. And alcohol and food and all these different things are quick and easy. And motivation requires access to things that are quick and easy with a big, powerful reward. And that's why we turn to those things. It doesn't take a lot of energy. doesn't take a lot of focus. So if we've had a really tiring day, we know it'll get the job done. It reinforces is that. But again, it can also start to have negative outcomes, you know, and this isn't a conversation about alcohol, but do remember 80% of domestic violence cases involve alcohol use and about 75% of violence involves alcohol use. There's even overdoses, right? There's better options and we don't want to get over relying upon something like that. So I, pre I appreciate the increase in use on other shows. We've talked about how to consider getting sober, what to think about changes that might happen. So go to wearechannelq.com. You can check out those episodes. But um, in the meantime, we're paying attention to all this because we don't want things to get too far. But uh, let's look at another thing from the World Health Organization, right? Um, the struggle to cope is what burnout is. That's what they're calling burnout, the inability to really cope with what's happening, right? And they say, and I quote, a vital state of exhaustion. Ooh, they throw that word vital in there. Feeling overwhelmed, physical and emotional exhaustion emotional distancing from one's children and loved ones, and for parents, even a sense of being an ineffective parent. I mean, wow. So we've globalized that, right? You are so burnt out that you're looking at the kind of parenting you're being, uh, the kind of parent you're being and the kind of parenting you're doing, and you're deciding, I might just be a bad parent in totality. Well, no. You know, we have to look at things as a snapshot, a moment in time. Based on what's happening right now, you might be doing your best. A lot of us you know, again, as I was saying during the pandemic, 60 to 70% is like all we got. And that's why we're doing the whole good enough model. Um, but we got to normalize talking about it. So how do we kind of work through this better? Well, number one, just be where you are. We have to go into acceptance. Acceptance is such a powerful thing because we know from studies and research around motivation that shaming yourself isn't going to help. It actually demotivates, right? So it's better to just say, look, this is where I am in the context of all that's going on in my life. These are the expectations I can place upon myself. And this is what's possible. And that's that. You know, I have to do that as well. You know, you show up and you do the best you can. So start that way, right? Um, also recognize that it is hard right now, right? I'm trying to normalize that. <laughs> so also to further reduce shame and isolation around all this. Times are tough. Everyone's struggling. They really are that tough. 
And as we were talking about, you know, every week I feel like a, a new layers are added with things that are going on globally, um, new strains of the virus, uh, all these legal battles about mask mandates in school and in the workforce. I mean, it's wild. It never stops. And so we're all like trying to ground ourselves in the midst of all that. Um, also reframe what it means to focus on self-care. It isn't selfish. And I know that that's really hard for us, but in, I use the word self-centering, not selfish. It's self-centering, you know, and it's, it's these little changes. It doesn't have to be these big, profound things. These little tweaks, these little changes can start to build up and amount to something bigger, you know, and what everyone's going to need is going to be, is going to be very different. Um, but we have to get away from this idea of perfect parenting, perfect anything, you know, um, I don't know where the vision is and where you got it from as to what should be happening, but parenting is a very difficult job because you have to look out for self and other, you know, when we're in romantic relationships, well, our other's an adult. And so we're able to allow them to struggle to some extent, but with children, it's not always the case. And depending on their age, you might have to completely be involved in ways that really decrease your ability to be there for yourself. But that's when we can also turn to others. You know, if you have friends or family members that can kind of step in and maybe help you or even give you time away from the kids, well, that's even better. You know, talk about going and getting a total full recharge. It's going to be amazing. You know, we need that time away. Not everyone can take a full vacation, but building in hours or an afternoon or an evening can sometimes be all you need to kind of get you back on track um, and getting that sleep. I was looking at a study, I'll have to find it and talk about it on the show, but it was basically saying that, you know, not getting enough sleep and then getting one or two good, good nights of sleep afterwards doesn't make up for that sleep debt. Oh, that sleep debt lingers far longer than what a night or two can uh, really give us back. So that was, that was a little bleak. All right, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs and then we're going to come back talking about what are the things we need to think about to be a successful friends with benefits. Oh yes, that's right. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Let's jump on in. All right, this first one says, Dear Dr. Chris, how do you tell your partner that you want more? I want to feel loved. I want to feel special. I want to feel important. And they say they're trying, but I just feel like I'm giving 100% and they're giving 60 I order things online, bring home flowers, go out of my way to leave notes, but their excuse is that they don't like to buy things online. What an interesting landing point for that. Uh, so a few things. Number one, we talk about equity, not equality. I know that might be a new word for some people. I'll, I'll, get, I'll try to familiarize, familiarize you all with it a little bit more moving forward, but basically what it means is People, we can't have the same expectation on everyone. Everyone comes from a different history. Everyone has a different relationship to love and care. Um, and everyone has different resources available or not available, right? So equity is important because, you know, you'll see some interesting memes that try to walk us through this. Equality means everyone gets the same thing. and But that's not honest or fair because everyone has different needs and different struggles. So I, there was a meme that I found so powerful. So bear with me if you think it's corny. I think it's a beautiful example of this. But equity means this, that if someone's shorter, they get a taller chair. 
Not everyone gets the same chair. And sorry if there's someone tall in front of you and you're shorter and you can't see. Equity is everyone gets what they need. If you're taller, you get a shorter chair. If you're shorter, you get a taller chair. So everyone has the same access, right? And what that means in terms of your question about you're giving 100, they're giving 60, what's going on in their life right now? If they're under a lot of stress and they have a lot of issues and struggles going on, well, then maybe 60 is their 100% based on what's going on. Maybe you have more time, more energy. And so it's kind of also like rent. We should pay, if we're sharing rent with someone, we should pay based on what's possible for us. If someone's unemployed, they shouldn't be paying the same amount of rent as maybe someone who is. If you're in a relationship with someone, you can't have the same expectations. You might be more available, have more energy, have more resources. It can't always just be, if I can do this, you can do this, because that's not mental health centered, and that's not even looking at disability and disability rights, right? Everyone has different needs. So be proud that you're giving 100%. Why is 60% not good enough? Is it because you have issues with feeling loved and cared for? Talk about that. I think we need to let our partners know what it is and the meaning that we're putting into something. Hey, when you don't maybe prioritize me or make me feel loved, here, here's how I hear that. Here's how that impacts me. And I think this might be one of those occasions where love languages are important. Um, not everyone needs gifts purchased for them. And I don't know anyone who does. If you're someone who enjoys receiving things, be open to receiving compliments, receiving acts of care. You know, we use this love language concept sometimes in a very solid black and white binary way. This is how I feel loved and that's what you need to do. Well, we're all a little bit bigger than that. We need flexibility within that. So share with your partner ways that you feel loved and cared for. Ways that don't take money or a lot of time and energy because maybe that's not what's available to them right now. They might also have been raised in a family where no one demonstrated or modeled for them how to romance and court someone. If they were raised in a very unloving, ungiving environment, this is gonna be brand new to them. You have to lovingly explain to them how you feel cared and loved for and what that can look like. And again, it can't be rooted in money and purchasing things online. Not everyone has the money to do that or wants to. And we need to see love in the ways that our partners express it, just like we want them to express it in ways that we most feel it. It's both. Be open to the ways that maybe your partner is showing love and showing up that you're just undermining or illegitimizing because it's not the exact right way that you want it, right? And if we share with them what's important to us within reason and in ways that we think they can accommodate and they just choose to not, well, then it's time to exit that relationship because you're in a relationship of deprivation and you've expressed your needs to someone within reason and they just have no interest in that, you will never then feel trusting or secure in that. And that's a rough place to land, but sometimes that's where we are. We realize love isn't available for whatever reason, or this person might love us and care about us, but based on things going on in their life, they're not able to show up in the ways that we'd want them to. And so now's not a time when maybe they're able to be a good partner to us. So that's in there as well. But this is an issue you need to take back to your partner and say to them, what am I supposed to do? so-and-so with the fact that I keep telling you how I feel loved and you're just not willing to do it. Make it a relational issue. Make it a couple's issue. See what they think about that, you know? But take it back to them. But I think it's a great question. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about friends with benefits. Ah, yes. The best ways to wrap our heads around that, ways to get our needs met, make sure everyone's kind of cared for. And then, of course, we'll be coming back and closing out the show with some more DMs. So if you got DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about friends with benefits. Oh, I know. I think it gets a bad name at times. We have to remember there's hundreds of ways to be in a relationship to someone. There's hundreds of ways to relate and relationship. It's not just romantic or platonic. 
friends or lovers. Are you kidding? There's like 750 other options swirling around those two choices. And they all have worth and value. We don't want to play that game of, you know, friend zoning as though that's a loss. No, friendship is a great option to have provided to you. We don't want to make people nothing but a sexual outlet. Everyone's a little bit more than that. And sometimes you realize that there's maybe sexual energy or sexual chemistry, but they're not, the, rom the romantic spark isn't there, or your lifestyles are too different or complicated and you want it simple, right? Um, you don't want to be any closer to them or you have other priorities and you just want to get a little bit of romance, a little bit of sexuality, but you don't have the time, energy, or interest in, in, in courtship or dating or any of these other pieces. That's okay. You're allowed to say, I'm working on just getting through school. I'm working on, you know, building my career. I just got out of something and I really don't want to step back into the responsibility and accountability of being someone's partner. Or like I said, you know, as lovers, it works, but anything outside of that, it becomes too problematic. We're not ideal or compatible in that way, but we want to still have what we have. Friends with benefits is a meaningful thing. Some people like to have sex with their friends as well. Like I want to just honor that. And some people have made really great friends out of just hooking up with someone and vice versa. Some people have realized through friends with benefits that they do want more or don't want more. We don't want to knock all these different entry points or different ways of being a part of someone's life. You know what I mean? We tend to really do a hierarchy. And, uh, you know, romantic partnership is the top and, uh, you know, often sometimes actually friendships at the bottom, sadly, and friends of benefits is just kind of like something outside of that. Well, no, it's meaningful. And there's all different reasons, like I said, as to why people get into this. Um, some people do want romance and they wind up mis manipulating and misusing the friends with benefits, hoping for more. That's not cool. Um, others just want, like I said, something quick and easy. That's cool too, with someone they feel comfortable and that they trust. Um, some people they're using it to deepen their friendship. That is a beautiful way to have a deeper level of intimacy and connection with someone is to bring sexuality in. Sex has no right or wrong use. As long as we're doing it with consent and compassion, you can use it for entertainment. You can use it for coping and self-soothing. You can use it for relationship building. You can use it for intimacy. You can even make it your job by selling sex. Um, that's a personal choice that you go make. A lot of people are doing that from the safety of their home with their cams, you know, whatever, do your thing, live your life. Um, and that doesn't have to be leading anywhere. It can be, that's it. We're, it's not in service of anything more other than just this. Like that's acceptable too, you know? Um, so this is, this is interesting. And looking at some of the research, I thought this was really interesting. Um, they looked at them at different points in time, right? So they did a study with the same people uh, upon entry, whatever that means. And then like a year later to look at the shift in the growth. Um, what were the stats though? It was predominantly, the studies were predominantly done on females. So 70% of the people that were interviewed, um, that had a friend with benefit, 70% were female, 74% were white and 72% were hetero. The white and the hetero is usually how a lot of studies go. So I want to just call out that that doesn't mean it's applicable to everyone. Something that happens to in, within whiteness is not necessarily something we can assume in other racial categories. And if this was done on heteros, that doesn't mean it applies to people that are queer or gay. So we need. I'm glad. I'm glad that they actually called that out. It's important when they just say, "I did a study on all men." No, you didn't. You did it on a specific race, gender, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, so here's what they found after a year: twenty-six percent were still friends with benefits. 26% a whole year and they stayed in that. That's that's kind of that's pretty decent, you know? It, it worked. 15%, which is the smallest percentage you're going to see in this study, had become romantic partners. 
only 15% uh, did it progress. I don't know how many maybe had been open to that or wanting that in this survey, but 15% it progressed to that. So still a reasonable thing to know. Like when I'm working with people that are painfully single and desperate for a relationship, I always remind them there's no one surefire route to love and romance. You have to try them all. I tell them be on dating apps. I tell them ask people out in the real world. I tell them it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman or non-binary. You need to be assertive and ask people out. I tell them you have to be willing to participate in hookup culture, friends with benefits. You never know where these things are going to lead. You have to be open to long distance, like give it your best shot. So 26% still in the friends with benefits. Cool. Cause that's what they wanted. 15% it evolved into romance. Maybe some wanted that. Maybe some stumbled into that. 28% went back to just being friends. I expected that. That I, That's not surprising to me that they realized like, eh, eh, we had fun. 31% reported having no relationship of any kind with their former friend with benefit after a year. So in the the highest percentage was that one. So 31%, that was it. It was a very short period of time and then they didn't see each other ever again. So you're not really gonna get a lot. Like these numbers don't really communicate much to me. Um, they weren't as powerful as I thought they might be upon reading them. Um, but essentially the work is looking at whether or not it works out depends on why you got into it in the first place. And I don't even know what the word working out means. Does whether or not it works out mean stayed ongoing as a friend with benefit? Does working out mean it progressed beyond or let loosened? I, I don't know. Again, it depends on your goal. But that So let me read a quote. Importantly, we found out that some relationship goals seem more attainable than others. Those who wanted to go back to just being friends appeared to be the most successful. So of all the decisions you could have within that context, the one that you could be most empowered around would be going back to friends. We got to take a break. We'll come back and keep talking about this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, we're back and we're talking about friends with benefits. And I'm kind of working off of this horrible study that's not giving me uh, really dynamic information like I kind of had thought it would. <laughs> Lots of stats woven in here, but I just don't think it's that meaningful. But before the break, we were talking about one that I thought was interesting, which is that those who wanted to go back to just being friends, they were the most successful. So of all the goals someone had within a friends with benefit dynamic, those that were most successful at getting their goal were the ones that were like, yeah, it's been cool doing that, but I kind of want to just go back to friends. And they were able to do that and maintain a friendship. Um, so that's, that's cool. Those who wanted to remain friends with benefits over the long term, less successful. Only 40% of them were able to pull that off over the course of a year. And then lastly, those who wanted and hoped, fingers crossed with all their might, that it would transition into romance were the least successful with only 15% getting that. So if you're a white hetero female, because that's all we can really learn, um, and you are having a friend with benefits and you're hoping for romance, only 15% of y'all are gonna get that. If you're a man who's non-white and not straight, we don't have any research to really speak to that, <laughs> um, which is important to look at with research. If it's done on women, we can only talk about the women it was done on. You know, we have to understand who those women were. A lot of research is done on college students. You can't apply that to non-college students. It's not as clean as that. Um, now, this was interesting. One of the other key things we found was that among those who reported maintaining at least some kind of relationship with their partner over time, whether sexual or non-sexual, right? They stay in each other's lives. They reported more communication. But that makes sense because sexuality in the context of two healthy individuals is a building of intimacy to some extent and hopefully comfort and familiarity. And they capitalized on that. 
you know? They also found a similar pattern of results for friendship satisfaction. Those who were happier with their friendship at the outset of doing this were even more happy afterwards. Well, there it is. <laughs> Have a friend with benefit if you're seeking to get closer to that friend because the studies show that that's the most robust outcome that we can, we can really, really stand behind. Otherwise, you're kind of winging it because the real key has to do with expectations. And that's what I always saw historically in my prior work around this topic and research was, it all depends on the expectations of both individuals, where they are in their lives and what they're entering it hoping for. And you have to enter these things hoping for nothing more than what you're entering it with. You know, because you never know what it's going to provide. So if you're you're entering into a friends with benefits dynamic with someone, enter it because that's cool enough. Because will you become just friends? Maybe. Will you not see each other anymore? Maybe. Will it become romance? Maybe. But the one thing we do know is that if that goal that you enter with is something you can stand behind for at least the short term, you'll be quite happy and content. Don't enter it expecting anything else because you don't know when or in which direction that's going to go. And that tends to be the issues that come into my office. I was hoping for dot, 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 or I had assumed dot, dot, dot. Eh, there's a lot of factors in there. But again, it doesn't mean it doesn't have worth and value. It's kind of like, you know, it, we're allowed to participate in certain things at certain points in our life because at that time, that made sense. And if and when that changes, we'll update that. Don't be afraid of these different dynamics. The world's getting really colorful. We're queering things, which means looking at the strengths of the non-normative, right? We're, we're getting creative. We're getting dynamic. So I love that because there's so many different ways to be a part of someone's life, and they all have worth and value. Just because you're not able to be in an ongoing or long-term romantic relationship with someone doesn't mean that how you relate to them has no meaning or value, and it doesn't mean that the time you put in is worthless. I, I, I hate that we still determine the worth or success of a relationship, when we're talking about romance specifically, that we determine it all based on the amount of time it existed, as though if it doesn't have forever, it has no worth and value. But yet, there's tons of things in our lives that are transitory and temporary and have so much worth and value. My favorite example is always over and over things like vacation. Vacations are not forever. And we plan them. And they're always short term. But yet, we still have fun when we're there. And we're still glad we went. And we look back lovingly on it. And we plan more of them. Because the present does matter. And I wish we could do that more with romantic relationships. There's no such thing as a failure if you left when it was time to leave. But people will determine it being a failure because it wasn't forever, but they're not all meant to or able to be forever. That doesn't mean they don't have worth and value. And again, we have to stop also illegitimizing different creative ways of relating because we tend to roll our eyes or huff and puff if we can't get that primary long-term monogamy. And that's not gonna always be the right or best thing. And as we've talked about, there's different times in our lives where with school, work, death, illness, all sorts of other things that we're not necessarily going to be able to show up as the best partner for ourselves or someone else. And that's part of mental and relational health is realizing not just what do you want or need, but how good are you going to be for someone else? What, what will you be bringing into their life if you are brought in? And if you're struggling with your mental health or, in, or your relationship to drugs and alcohol or other factors, say to yourself, I'm probably not going to be the best to be brought into someone's life maybe romantically. So instead, let me just be with my friends. Let me just have a friend with benefits to get some of those romantic sexual needs met or whatever it is. But if we're going to truly form a healthy adult, committed, attached relationship, we have to be able to be accessible and available and reliable and consistent. Those are the qualities that help build a true committed relationship. True committed. I have to use that qualifier. Otherwise, 
it's going to be a little flimsy. Casual relationships can sometimes feel flimsy if one person wants something serious and the other doesn't. But again, that relational health is saying like, what are my expectations? Are those expectations able to get met with this person at this time in that kind of relational style? And again, how am I impacting them? How does my being brought into their life? Am I at a time where I have something to offer? Am I at a time where I can actually truly be a partner? And at times we can't, and it's okay to recognize that. You know, sometimes we should be putting our, our dating app down and saying, not right now, you know? Relationships are awesome, but it's a responsibility to the other. There's a level of accountability. So we want to always assess what kind of partner are we going to be? Where are we? Um, all right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back and uh, later we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And as always, past episodes are over at wearechannelq.com. Head on over there, scroll down, look for the name of the show and click on it. All the past episodes are over there. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Stick around, though. We'll be back and listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all. We are back. And good news. I referenced earlier a study on sleep and about making up for lost sleep, and I, I found it during the break. I don't know how I did that, but it was more accessible than I thought. So the headline is, it can take more than a week. <laughs> you hear that? It can take more than a week to recover from days of sleep deprivation. So what is that really saying? Take your sleep seriously because it can take more than a week. That is wild. I've never heard it said that way. Some of the headlines are sleep deprivation is common among US adults. No kidding. It's also been linked to several health issues, high blood pressure, metabolic syndrome, and diabetes. Okay. Ready for this one? After 10 days of deprivation, that's a long time. 10 days of not getting enough or good enough sleep, it's a long time. Seven days is not gonna be enough to return to normal function. So that's understandable because 10 days, that's quite a deficit and that's gonna definitely have an impact on a lot of different systems of your body. So I understand why it would take a week. Experts say though that people may overestimate how well they've recovered from sleep deprivation. Ooh. But check this out. According to the American Sleep Apnea Association, 70% of U.S. adults do not get enough sleep. 70%. That is a huge number. But this is odd. Only 11% get insufficient sleep every single night. So, you know, it's rough for that 11%, but that's, that's a pretty good stat. That's not, that, that's not, you know, as normalized as we thought. But if you've been sleep deprived for a while, it's going to take more than sleeping in on the weekend to make up for it. The 10 days taking seven days, that's actually not as shocking to me now when I really look at it. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at all the different things that it's tied to. Um, yeah, I get that though. 10 days is a long time. If, if you're, I really hope that y'all take that seriously though. If you have 10 days of not getting enough sleep or even a week, it's definitely a sign that something's off in your life. You're over-prioritizing something to the detriment of your physical and mental health. Zero in on that. I think we've, some people find valor in that. Oh, I'm working so hard, I'm not getting much sleep. Let's not make that something where we're like proud of or we normalize that. Let's make that something where everyone's like, oh my God, how can I help you? Like that should be the answer. Dear God, I'm sorry to hear that. What do you need from me? Like, what can I do? Because that's rough. Because really think of the implications. Really think of what that's communicating. That is someone saying, my, I am I am struggling so much mentally, or I have way too many responsibilities for that are on me right now that I can't get the seven to nine hours of sleep. I'm either not falling asleep, not staying asleep, or I have too much to do. That is a sign that you are 
out of balance in so many ways. Because I'm over here telling people, in addition to that, I'm like, every day I want you to reach out to three people. I want you to bring in some joy. I want you to steal some rest. And it's like, how is that possible? These people can't even get the basic, you know, prescribed amount of sleep. So really right size is all of that. But ideally, we would live lives where we could get all of that in. A day is many, many hours. And that's why I'm thankful that we're seeing people pushing back on um, the work schedule. And there's a lot of people successfully doing studies in different countries on shrinking the work week down to four days and six, six hour days. It should be that way. That's more of a balance. Two days off for those that even get a full two days a week is not enough. Um, we shouldn't be working eight hours a day. We, are, we know from studies that no one can be productive for eight hours. It actually works against productivity. Productivity goes up when we reduce the hours. Six hours is very robust. Four-day work weeks, it's the same thing. So if it's about productivity numbers, four, work, four days a week, six hours, bam, done. But I think people feel like they need control and they need to maintain power. I don't know what the reasoning is, but there's no reason for someone to work five days a week or more or eight hours or longer if they don't have to. I understand that some people have multiple jobs, work long hours for financial reasons, but it shouldn't be a mandate. You know, we need to normalize shrinking all that down. And then if we extend it, that's by choice because of other needs. And the studies are showing in multiple countries that more productivity, but think about it. No one can be completely productive for eight hours. That's ridiculous. Our brains and bodies aren't wired for that. That's why we're eating sugary foods and a lot of caffeine. It's a sign that you need a nap and you need rest, right? We shouldn't be using these unnatural resources to just force our bodies to keep producing. We are not machines, dear God. So if you have the power, work four days a week. If you can work six hours each of those days, do that. Spend the rest of your time pursuing passions, things that give you joy, spending time with friends and family members, leisure, fun. When people say I spent the day with just doing fun, I'm like, great, that's mental health. That's inspiring to me, you know? Trying to inspire all of you. That's why I'm always telling you all that. I'm like turning my phone off, da ba da. So ask yourself, you know what I mean? How much sleep am I getting? And what is that communicating? You know, what am I normalizing? Oof, 10 days in a row of not getting enough sleep. You're right, you're gonna need a lot more than a week. And that's not even gonna fix it because whatever was going on that led to those 10 nights of not getting good sleep, you need, a, you need like a more structural change. Sending out love those for those that are connecting to that. That's intense. The lies we lead, you know, strange times. Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Any questions you got, we wanna answer them. Someone else might be thinking the same thing, so drop them in there. Topics you want covered or something you want us to drop deeper into. Always happy to hear from you, so let us know. And as always, over at wearechannelq.com, you can find uh, all the shows. You can binge, post, listen, reshare. Stick around, though. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline. Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Oh, this one's an interesting one. I like this one. Dear Dr. Chris and Loveline, is there ever a time that going through your partner's phone is okay? I came out of the shower. Always the shower. I'm telling you, it's always when someone's in the shower that people try to go through phones. But nonetheless, your question says, I came out of the shower the other day. My boyfriend said my phone went off, and he clicked on a notification. And he was on my phone for like 20 minutes. He didn't lie, I don't think. Just made me feel super uneasy. Uh, well, why is he looking at notifications? I mean, that's my first question. Like, if I'm getting notifications on my phone, they're notifications for me. I don't know why anyone else, whether I'm in a relationship with them or not, needs to know what those notifications are. Uh, yeah, curiosity exists, of course. Of course, excuse me. Um, it's never okay. It's never okay. It's a, it's a complete violation of your privacy. It's poor boundaries. It's also can fall under emotional abuse if it's an attempt to control. Um, this is possibly your partner trying to deal with their own anxiety. So I would always start this conversation in two ways. Uh, if you have a concern about it, because uh, I don't know if your question's more about you know what's in this or if it's just ever okay, because my solid answer is no, it's never okay. Again, that's you, you, no matter whether you're married or whatever it is, you have a right to privacy and boundaries. No one has a right to just get access to things you haven't given them access to. And in healthy, trusting relationships, our partners know that if there's something important that involves them, we'll bring them into it. We'll factor them in and we'll talk to them, whatever that might be, as hard as that might be. And people that go through phones are usually in relationships where they don't trust that. It's usually nine times out of 10, a lack of trust. And the question's always, is it that the person looking in someone else's phone needs to learn how to trust? Or is it that they're in a relationship with someone who isn't worthy of trust. Well, if you don't trust and you need to, you have to work on that. And if it's your partner, then you shouldn't be with someone you can't trust if they're not really truly worthy of it. it. Might be time to leave. But I would circle back lovingly and calmly and say, hey, listen, it makes me uncomfortable when you go through my phone. I'm gonna ask you to not do that again. And in saying that, if they do it again, then we have a bigger issue. Um, and in saying, please don't go through my phone, I would lovingly then swoop into, but let's talk about that. You know, what was that, what was that driven by? Because I don't believe that I just needed to look. Like I never accept these off the cuff, vague answers. 
You know what I mean? Like if someone asks me a deep question, I'll say, let me understand where, where that question's coming from. Not someone saying, well, I just want to know. No, that's never, that's never acceptable. I, I want to understand you more. That's intimacy. Tell me why you're asking, right? So I'd, I'd want you to pose that question. What was making you feel the need to look? Because I'm sure your phone alerts at all times and he doesn't look. Why is it that he had the look when you were in the shower? Does he look when you're sitting next to him? No. Well, then it's not about him just, you know, feeling compelled to respond to alerts. That's ridiculous. I want you to say to him lovingly, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And if not, can we talk about why? Can we talk about what I might be doing? This is you speaking. That doesn't allow you to trust me. Is there a way that we can work on that? Because that's really what this should be about. Because if we have trust, you say to him, then I'm going to ask you to not ever do that again. And if you did that because there's things you feel like you need to ask me, I want to create safe spaces so that you can ask me the questions you need to ask me. Everyone is not a cheater. That's not true. Wounded people say that. People that I feel bad for, that have been with people, that have trained them to believe you can't trust people. But you can. Not everyone's a cheater. And it really pains me even more when I hear people make it gender. Like all men cheat. Well, that's interesting because all the stats show that it's women that do the bulk of cheating and it's on the rise. So it's not all men are cheaters, right? And there are elements of toxic masculinity and toxic monogamy where people think they have a right to own people, right? And not have to honor boundaries, but they do. So that's why it's a conversation about boundaries, but it's also a conversation about trust. You know, do we trust each other? Do you trust me? And if not, how can we help to create that? Because constantly going through my phone doesn't build trust, actually. Keeps anxiety going. That's not a solution. And I say that to couples that want passwords and to go through their phone and know who their friends are. It's like, oh my God, that's your anxiety running wild. How do we work on trust? That's the goal, right? That anxiety isn't going to be good for anyone. It's not a good sign. It's not a sign of a healthy relationship. So we want to work on that. We want to identify that. So use this as a conversation starter. Very loving, very soft. Be very approachable, you know? That's a great question. All right, y'all. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Anything you want to talk about, anything you want us to answer, topics you want covered, let us know. And past episodes of Loveline are always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it, and there's all the past shows. You can binge, post, share, re-listen. Lots of good stuff back there. Sometimes you got to roll back, re-hear it. Repetition's really good for us. But uh, focus on spending the rest of the night or your rest of your day, I should say, focusing on self-care, some joy and pleasure, tons of rest. And uh, join us again tomorrow night. We'll be here. Thanks for hanging out with us. And as always, enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.